So yeah, today, Dan already introduced the beginning of the sermon, stole the beginning, but uh, we're going to look at someone who wasn't one of your well-known biblical characters, and to be honest with you, most of you won't have heard of him, so most people won't consider him a hero at all. But this guy spent, he spent a lot of his time in the background, he was doing his bit for God, the masses didn't look up to him for leadership, they didn't look up to him for teaching, and rumour had it that he was only 13 when he completed the task he was given. I'll tell you his name, it's Bezalel. Has anyone heard of him? Bezalel? No. Got one man at the back. Heard of Bezalel? That's great. Uh, so yeah, so this is, there's only five verses about him, and it goes like this. Then the Lord said to Moses, Look, I specifically chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, grandson of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. I've filled him with the Spirit of God, given him great wisdom, ability, and expertise in all crafts. He is a master craftsman, expert in working with gold, silver, and bronze. He is skilled at engraving and mounting gemstones and carving wood. He is a master of every craft. And then a bit later, it goes on, gives a long list of different things he had to build, like the Ark of the Covenant, a table, yeah, a table, uh, utensils, and basically everything that was found in this place called the tabernacle, which was like a giant movable tent, which acted as a temple for the Israelites, because they were moving from Egypt to the Promised Land. They were moving out of slavery to this place called the Promised Land. So the tabernacle, which was, like I say, a temple, had four walls around it, and it contained an altar for sacrificing animals on, and, and, all, and loads of other places to do rituals and sacrifices. And I've got a picture, just so you know what it looks like, rather than me having to explain it. And uh, I'll get to it in a little bit. I didn't draw it myself because I'm uh, not like good. I just stole it from the internet and I hope it's not copyrighted. But uh, yeah. So you might think it was quite a nice task Bezalel got for, he got to make stuff for God. But actually, it was a very important job he was given. The tabernacle was built so that God could dwell with his people, the Israelites, of which Bezalel was one of them. Why? Yeah, so he was one of them. You see, at the time, God could not dwell freely with his people because he was holy, he was set apart, and they were sinful, which basically means he was pure, he was like white, and they were impure, they were like gray or black because they kept on rejecting God, they kept on going their own way rather than going his. And ultimately, you know, rejecting God, it destroyed their relationship. They were meant to, he was leading them, and they were meant to be together, but they kept on rejecting him and going their own way. But you see, despite all this, he still wanted to dwell with them. He still wanted to be with his people. So he commanded that this tabernacle, oh, look at it, was built. And that it had a place called the Holy of Holies that contained the Ark of the Covenant, where the Ten Commandments was kept on two, two stone tablets. But mainly the Holy of Holies, which was that bit, <laughs> which was that bit, was where God dwelled with his people. And you see, Bezalel and his team, because he did have a little team with him as well, it wasn't a small task, because he had to build a place for God to live on earth. Now, you may be wondering, what does Bezalel and this have to do with anything we're talking about? Why, why talk about him? Well, as I was saying, Bezalel, he was used by God, but he wasn't used to preach and teach. He wasn't used up at the front. He was filled with the Spirit of God 
to make stuff. And God, well, he used him in that way. It says here that he was a master of every craft. This was woodwork, work with rare metals, making garments for priests, loads of different things. Often we think it's just people in ministry who have giftings from God. That it's just people who stand up in the front, people who's just the worship man have giftings from God. But you see, that, that's not the case. I mean, don't get me wrong, these people up here, Abby, Grace, everyone else, Dan, Carl, people up at the front, they're so gifted and, they, and that's what they've been picked to do. But the thing is, is that everyone has some sort of gifting from God. Whether you're a techie like Andy, or you're, you're a craftsman, you're an accountant, maybe you're a builder, or a bus driver, or a nurse, or so much more. You know, that can be a gifting from God, and God can use that. So my dad, some of you all know him, Johnny B, who made that wood box over there. He's a, he's a well, he's a woodwork guy. He's a... He's a pattern maker, which means he does woodwork, but on big stuff. And did you know, he worked on Tower Bridge. Isn't that where? Mm-hmm, surprise. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so when I was younger, I would always ask my dad, oh, dad, why, why aren't you an elder of a church? Why, why do you never strive to be an elder? But the thing that I didn't understand at the time was, was that my dad's skills, they didn't lie in eldership. They didn't lie in teaching. He was a lot more practical, he was a lot more pastoral on a one-to-one basis, rather than sitting in meetings and teaching from the front. But, but, but just because he wasn't an elder didn't mean he wasn't holy. It was just because God had another job for him, God had another purpose for him, even if younger me didn't get it at the time. In Romans 12, 6 to 8 it says, in his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If it is the gift of serving others, serve well. If you are a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you the gift of leadership, take that responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. God has given everyone different gifts so that we can all do certain things for him, to bring glory to him and what he has planned. You know, if we all had the same gifts, we wouldn't get anything done. If we were all preachers stood up at the front, we'd all be preaching at no one, obviously, because there'd be no one sat down. But uh, it'd be like having a a watch with one cog. I mean, loads of having the same of one cog. The watch ain't going to do anything, is it? You're never going to be able to tell the time, and that's the job it's got to do. But something you've got to notice from this Romans passage is that God has given us different gifts for doing things well. Doing things well. It's not a bodge job. You know, God's kingdom isn't a bodge job. You can't do it half-hearted. But when we do something for God, we have to put our effort into it. We have to do the best. Even if it's just doing a shift at work, do your best you can possibly do because, you know, that could bring glory to God. Somebody could question you, why, why are you doing so well at work? Why do you want to do this job so well? And it'd be like, well, I'm doing it for Jesus, actually. I mean, you might, might not say you're doing it for Jesus straight away, but that conversation can lead on to something, and ultimately people can be saved through it. You might not see it at first, but God can use all these different things for his kingdom. 
You see, the church as a whole around the world, here at home, just Redeemer King, works on the basis that everyone has to play their part. Uh, everyone has to do their task so that ultimately, seeking and saving the lost and glorifying God can be done. This is what it says in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12 to 27, about the church being like one body, with each of us being different parts. The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up the whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, and some are free. But we've all been baptized into one body by one spirit. And we all share the same spirit. Yes, the body has made different parts, but not just one part. If the foot says, I'm not part of the body because I'm not a hand, that does not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not an eye, would that make it any less a part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? If the whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? But our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just as he wants it. How strange would a body be if it only had one part? How strange would it be indeed? Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually most necessary. And the parts we regard as less honorable and those we clothe with greatest care. So we carefully protect those parts that should not be seen, while the more honorable parts do not require this special care. So God has put the body together such that extra honor and care are given to those parts with less dignity. This makes for harmony among the members, so that all members care for each other. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. All of you together are Christ's body, each of you is a part of it. No matter whether you're a preacher, a musician, a carpenter, an administrator, anything else, we're all part of Christ's body, each of us with our own task. Another very important thing you've got to notice, back in Exodus, back with Bezalel, it says this, he was filled with the Spirit of God, giving him great wisdom and ability and expertise in all kinds of crafts. He was filled with the Spirit of God to do what he did. Yes, maybe he was an excellent craftsman before. Maybe he was like great at what he did. But it was only by God's Spirit that he could truly glorify God and have the wisdom to know what he needed to do with the gifts he had been given. You can be the best computer scientist in the world, but if you become a super hacker and start stealing everyone's data and then leaking it all, I don't think it's going to bring glory to God, is it? At the end of the day, if we want to bring glory to him and with the gifts he's given us, we have to be filled with the Spirit to at least gain the wisdom on how and where to use them and then consciously decide to use them for God. So now you may be wondering, some of you, how do I be filled with the Spirit? Well, firstly, pray. You've got to ask God. It's pretty much as simple as that. You've got to ask God to fill you with the Spirit. It says in Matthew 7, 7, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. You may have to wait though, whether it be sitting there literally waiting on God or whether you're 
waiting for God's perfect timing. That could be days or weeks away, but God's timing is always perfect. But I'll say that a very important place to be in your heart and in life is just open to his spirit. Sometimes we can ask God for stuff, but we don't really mean it. This, could be, this can be because we're actually scared of the consequences of stuff happening. Whether it's an opportunity to share your faith at work, you might say, oh God, I really want to tell people about you, but actually you're scared in your heart to tell people about God because that can save people. And it's like, oh no, uh, spirit's going to move, but it's all right. But it can also be that we're scared that God's going to change our life and that God's going to use us. If you want to see people saved, if you want to fight against injustice, you've got to be prepared for God to change your heart and you've got to be prepared to have your spirit in him, in you. You see, for Bezalel, being filled with the spirit of God was actually a really key part. If he hadn't have been, then the stuff that God had planned for him, it wouldn't have gone how it would have gone. It wouldn't have been so intricate, amazing. He wouldn't have had the wisdom to be able to build the ark, to build the tabernacle, which isn't there anymore because I forgot to say. But he wouldn't have had the ability to build it how he did. And God ultimately wouldn't have been glorified in the same way. You see, when he built it, he built it to last. And it was only by God's spirit that he could do that. So, you know, some of you here will know what your gifting is. You'll know what God's calling is for you. But some of you here won't have a clue. But God does have a plan for you, even if you don't have a clue. If you're anything like me, you have gone to school, GCSE, done art, and then you would have been like, nah, I don't want to do that. Then you do A-level, you do maths, you're like, nah, I don't want to do that. But then you've picked both sides of the spectrum, apparently, of going to school. But you see, that's okay. Don't worry, there's plenty of people out there who are like that, who don't know what their gifting is. But I will give you one bit of advice. Just try different stuff. Seriously, give things a go. I found that the stuff I'm good at, where my passions lie, were working with CVM. I mean, that's not on the school curriculum. They never taught you that. But, and I found that like in my spare time, I was quite good on my playing games on the computer. Now, people, people always argue that isn't a skill, but I personally thought that was a skill. So, yeah, so the thing is that the, the gifts you might have are the stuff that people don't talk about. You may be good with people, an excellent hairdresser, great administration. You may enjoy organizing events, seeing stuff through to the end, always going, going for it. You may love caring for people, have a passion for driving and making stuff. If you're unsure about your gifting, just think about what you're passionate about. Think about what, you're, what you naturally enjoy doing, what you're naturally good at. Because believe me, you, have a, you do have a gift. You have a special job from God. Just ask God to show you, to open your eyes to what he has planned for you and to fill you with his spirit so that you can do the tasks that he wants you to do. But I will say, like it says on Carl's Twitter page, Carl, uh, other elder who isn't here today, it says this, there is no limit to what a man can do or where he can go if he doesn't mind who gets the credit. If we don't mind God getting all the credit for what we do, for the gifts he's given us, then he will use those gifts. He will use us in amazing ways. At the end of the day, the only reason we are here, the only reason we've been given different gifts for God's kingdom is to glorify him and to encourage one another and to build each other up.
there's one gift that when me and Dan were talking about this that we thought was quite important, and it's the gift of encouragement. It isn't talked about very often, and not many people, and in this day and age, it doesn't seem to be like a big thing. We seem to be all about destroying each other on social media and sending people down. But all of us can be encouragers and encourage one another. But some people do have that special gift within them to be encouragers, but all of us can be encouragers. In 1 Thessalonians 5.11, it goes like this. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Life is filled with ups and downs. And when we get to a rough spot, we often look to the ground rather than up to God. But when that one person gets beside you and encourages you, it can make all the difference. The word encouragement or exhortation in Greek is parakilis. To my knowledge, that's how you pronounce it. Which pretty much means a call to one side. Sometimes an encourager doesn't have to say many words. They can just sit and listen and just sit by someone's side. That can be encouraging enough. It may seem simple, but an encourager is a very unique and important job because all of us need encouraging every once in a while. Some of us more than others, but we all need encouraging. Some of you now might not have realized it, but the gifts you've got, the stuff you're good at, can be used from God. And it is actually from him to bring glory to him and to spread the good news of Jesus. You know, the gifts we've been given by God are amazing, but there is a greater gift than all our little gifts. There is a greater gift and the reason we're sat in this room. For those of you here that don't really know why you're here or are new to this, I'm just going to tell you this, that you know, God loves you. Before you were born, before he knew you, God loved you. And uh, he knew your name before, before you were even born. But with this greater gift, there's a bit of a horrible backstory to it. We aren't very good people, are we? Despite what we may think, we're not very good. We've all done bad stuff. I mean, uh, for most of us, it's probably nothing major. But we've all gone against what our parents have said. We've all used our time at work or school to play games. I'm <laughs> not naming any names myself. Uh, but, or if it's neither of those, we look down on people who perhaps do do those kind of things. And that, can, that in itself is a bad thing. The bad stuff we do in the Bible is called sin. And it gets in the way of us knowing God. Our self-centeredness puts God out of the equation. And this is, this is mega bad news because when someone like God loves you so much, he loves you more than your own parents have ever loved you, more than your own family have ever loved you, then he wants to get to know you and he wants to spend time with you. But this sin is in the way. It's like a block that you can't get through. We can try all we want to get back to him. We can give money to charity, read our Bibles, go to church, be nice, kind, selfless but it doesn't counterbalance and don't cancel out the sin and the bad stuff we've done. You can eat three Krispy Kreme donuts and have three salads, but it don't mean you haven't had the three Krispy Kreme donuts. You've already had the calories and the sugar. It's like, it just don't work. That's not how it works. And the, and the big problem is, it's not just that you... No, it's not just you separate us from God now. It says that the wages of sin is death. You see, it's eternal. 
this death, it's it's not just you dying oh, and then we'll finally get to heaven or hell. It's it's eternal. You you'll go down the bad path if you don't choose God. You see, our choice to go our own way, to do the bad stuff we do, just to not listen to God and just think life will be all right, means we deserve death. You know, it's hard to take in. But look at it this way. If a surgeon was doing a heart operation and he had just a few strains of any deadly virus on his hands, that patient could die. Even if we've done just little things in our life that offend God, it still contaminates the whole person. It replaces the purity with impurity. And another way of looking at it would be like having a giant splodge of white paint. All you have to do is put one little bit of black in and that's it, it destroys it, it becomes gray. And unless you need gray paint, it's not very useful at all. And then it ends up being thrown out, so. But thankfully, despite all this, God's made a way out. There is a way from getting from this bad place. There's a solution. The church's most well-known verse, John 3:16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not die, but have eternal life. In order for us to get back to God, he sent down his only son, who was completely man and yet completely God. He was like, mind blown. I mean, how does that even happen? But this man, God-man, lived a perfect life, and then he died as tribute in our place. He was the only person ever born in order to die so that we may live. Basically, our record, with all its dark and grimy bits, is swapped for Jesus' perfect white record of him doing nothing bad. You see, he was an amazing guy, Jesus. Even though he was tempted with all sorts of riches and power, he picked at his own expense to live a humble life, a perfect life. He was the only perfect person to ever walk the earth, and at the same time, the only person, like I was saying, born to die. We don't deserve it. We don't deserve to let an innocent man die in our place. But because God loves us so much, he sent him down anyway. He, he sent him down so that, because he was willing to pay the price to buy us from the grips of death. The cost and distress for Jesus was so great that the night before he was crucified, he sweat drops of blood. Luke 22, verse 44. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. But you know what? He still went to die on the cross for you, for me, so that we could have eternal life and a relationship with God. However, at the end of the day, it's up to, it's up to us. Yes, Jesus died in your place, but you have to choose whether or not you accept him. As Justin Reese Larkin, another guy, says, you could take a thousand steps away from God, but it's only, for us, it's only one step back to him. God makes up the difference with the blood and the sacrifice of Jesus. All we've got to do is that one step back. But you see, being a follower of Jesus, I will say this, isn't just a one-time decision. It's, it's a lifetime of getting better. It's a race, basically. We're not just getting a clean record once just so we can go back to our dark lives and just mess it all up again. I mean, obviously, none of us can be perfect. It's not like you're saved one day, you're perfect the next. That's not how it works. But 
whenever we do stuff wrong, we just have to pick ourselves up, dust ourselves down, keep on going. You see, it's a constant relationship with God. It's not like a master and a slave in a sense. It's a master and, a, and his friend. It's a savior and someone who's been saved. It's a relationship because God loves you. Thessalonians 5.17 says, never stop praying. With a relationship, you have to keep in constant communication. You have to keep on talking. It isn't easy. Stuff goes wrong. But God's got your back. Because when you're accepting, you're adopted into his family. And a father doesn't let his children down. It says in 2 Corinthians 16:8, I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters. You know, all it requires is one prayer to start the journey with God. And then beyond that, we have to use our gifts, like I've been talking about earlier, for his kingdom, because we have received the greatest gift of all, which is the blood of Jesus. So, coming to an end, I have talked, so talked a bit about the gifts and the stuff you're good at, but there's a reason for it. Not just to make us look good, not just to make us feel special, I do keep on mentioning it, but I will say it's to glorify God. In the Bible it says, God has given each of you a gift from a, his from a great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them to serve each other. Do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. God has given you a gifting to bring praise to him, not to glorify ourselves, but to glorify Jesus. I could spend hours coming up with different ways that different gifts could be used in different ways, but I feel like the Spirit will lead you to what, you, what he has planned for you. But finally, I will say this with whatever you've been given. You have to make a conscious choice to use it for the Father's glory, both in the little things, in the big things. It's up to you whether you go God's way or go your own way, whether you glorify him or glorify yourself. Every time you do something that could have consequences, just, just think to yourself, am I making a decision that's only gonna benefit the here and now on earth, only gonna benefit me? Or I make a decision that's going to affect me and others eternally. In a sense, which life is more important to you? This one, which will one day wither away, or the next one, which is eternal?